Those hymns are full of truth and uh, no doubt prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Please turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. We're going to go through Acts chapter 19, <clears throat> maybe all the way to verse 20. But verse 17 to 20 is the main verses that we'll be looking at this morning. But, but, but we'll just go through Acts chapter 19 for the way of introduction. Let's read verse 17 to 20 first. <clears throat> Notice what the Bible says there in Acts chapter 19 and verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelt at Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all the men. And they counted the price of them and found them 50,000 pieces of silver. And so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, Holy God, we thank you so much, Father, for your wonderful grace upon our lives. Father, we know that without your grace, we wouldn't be sitting here today in your house with your people, singing to you, hearing from your word. We're so thankful that you've bestowed your grace upon us. We're so thankful even for the rain, dear God, that shows your mercy upon uh, humans, even the just and the unjust. Lord, that you provide our needs physically but also spiritually. And I ask and pray this morning, dear God, that you'll get a hold of our hearts. Father, that you would minister to us effectively by the words of truth found in your word, the Bible. Father, I pray that we would be attentive. We would not move to the left or right. Our heart will be fixed and focused. We would not be burdened down by our cares, troubles, worries, and fears. That we would be, Lord God, focused for this hour as we hear and sit uh, and listen to the word of God. Father, help me convey the truths found in this book, your word, effectively, simply, boldly. Father, help me to know how to both encourage and comfort your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In our current <clears throat> modern-day Christianity, we find many people come to Christ for all sorts of reasons. People come to Christ for power. People come for uh, you know, prestige or pomp or uh, even position. Many people come to Christ for different reasons, to get different things. Uh, in the Christendom or in those that simply uh, profess Christ to be their saviour, they come to Christ out of a sincere heart to follow Christ. But even within that group of people, within that professing group of people, of believers, there are still two classes, if you will, of Christians. There are those that are apathetic, those that are simply indifferent towards the things of God, and there are those that are passionate, and they have a, like a fire in their heart and a zeal uh, accompanied with the knowledge of God for the things of God. The Lord desires every single person to have a passion for the things of God, to have this zeal that was eating our Lord Jesus Christ up when he turned the tables, when he saw the house of God defiled. As a matter of fact, God wanted this for the church. He rebuked the church at uh, Laodicea and he says, I wish you were cold or hot, but you're not cold or hot, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. God desires for every single person to be on fire or passionate for the things of 
God. If you read the Gospels, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, right from the beginning, Jesus admonishes his disciples and those that were hearing uh, with uh, this fact. He says, uh, you know, uh, uh, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men put their light under a bushel or a bowl, but they put it on a candlestick. Why? So everyone may see. So he says, ye are the light of the world. And he says, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so to demonstrate that light or you know, to demonstrate the glory of God is to be passionate with the things of God and everything that he teaches there on the Sermon on the Mount. And so not only this, but the Apostle Paul admonishes the Romans to be hot and on fire for the Lord. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, he says, not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word fervent means to be hot, to be boiling. It's almost like uh, uh, to put you know, water in a, in, uh, in, a, in a pot and put it under a fire and that water begins to boil. To be fervent in spirit is don't let it stop boiling, keep boiling or be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. There's a passion there that God wants every single one of us to have. A man of God once said, apathy or the lack of zeal thereof should not be part of the believer's life. Christians must fight against discouragement, depression and negativeness that must, uh, that, uh, that must do their own and, and must do their most utmost to keep their spiritual temperature high. In this chapter, chapter 19, we find a group of people at Ephesus that right from the beginning of professing Jesus Christ as their personal saviour, demonstrated a passion and a zeal for God. Now allow me to lay the foundation by briefly looking at the context in chapter 19 as we lead up to the main encouragement and admission I want to give you today. So look at, from verse 1 to 7, I'll paraphrase some of these things, but from verses 1 to 7, Paul finds certain disciples were affiliated with the John the Baptist, if you will. Uh, they were labelled as Old Testament believers transitioning to the New Testament uh, era, if you will. They hadn't yet heard of the Holy Ghost that was come down at Pentecost. And there they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and they get baptised and they receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and then we move to verse 8 and Paul goes to the synagogue and preaches boldly for three months there. By the way, uh, to preach boldly uh, carries this form of cor being courageous. Uh, it means to be confident. Uh, it, it doesn't have any kind of uh, you know, cowardness in it. And Paul there uh, spoke boldly before the people, preached without any fear and with full confidence the gospel in the synagogue for about three months. He said he was disputing. The Bible calls disputing meaning the fact that he was exhorting thoroughly, discussing uh, persistently. It's like going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what you do when you dispute or debate and argue the fact. And you do it with a sweet spirit, of course. And there's nothing wrong with going back and forth, back and forth to prove your point. And Paul did that in the synagogue, went back and forth with the people and he convinced them or he persuaded them, the Bible says, uh, utterly convincing them by the truth of God's word. And so, by the way, by persuading them or convincing them doesn't take away from the work of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was working with the Spirit. So don't forget, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And he was working with God, with the Holy Spirit, both to bring out the truth that God will use to convict the heart of man. And Paul did that well. And you see that he did that well through his missionary journeys. 
Now, the, uh, we, we also see uh, the, in verse 8 that, he, that his content, not only his character of preaching, but the content was concerning the kingdom of God. So the Apostle Paul uh, made it a habit to preach the kingdom of God both to the Jews in the synagogue and also to the Greeks. And like Jesus, he would preach regularly uh, the things uh, that pertain to the kingdom of God. And, and as a matter of fact, the disciples preached this uh, throughout the early uh, part of the book of Acts. Philip did this in ch uh, chapter 8, verse 12. He says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, look at this, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. By the way, you can't separate the two. You can't preach on the kingdom of God and not preach on Christ. Why? Because Christ is the key to the kingdom. He's the entry to the kingdom. All right? So that, and, 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 and so that's important to understand. You can't preach the kingdom without Christ. And uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, those Christians that were found in Antioch, they were confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through uh, much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Paul, at the end of his uh, ministry to the Ephesians, he says to the pastors in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul spent his last years in a little cabin, if you will, or a little hide uh, place for about two years, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at this again. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. He had this throughout his ministry. See, Paul knew what he believed and he preached it with boldness. And the character of his preaching, no doubt, directed to the kingdom of God, which, uh, which no doubt is Christ, uh, is the entry to the kingdom. Without Christ, you can never, ever enter into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 3, verse 5. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then later on, he shows us how to be born again, to enter in. And he points us to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, in verse 9, we see the response to Paul's preaching. There are many people that were hardened, the Bible says, and believed not. Remember last week we said there are all two, two responses, main two responses to the preaching. And people get hardened and they believe not, or people get soft and they believe the message, and these people would no doubt hardened, believe not. In other words, they were defiant to the truth. Therefore, such condition leads to a hardness of heart. They knew the truth, they made a decision to reject it, and chose to believe not after hearing it. And then they spoke evil of that way before the multitudes. When you see people rejecting vehemently the truth after hearing the truth, they become the enemies of God. And they start speaking wickedly against that way or the way of Christ or the gospel, the preachers and the people of God. Verse 10, Paul preached for two years in the school of one Tyrannius in Asia. He he, the disciples, uh, he says here, and he departed from them, separated uh, and separated the disciples, the disciples that there that heard him at Ephesus, they separated themselves, they, they, they consorted with Paul, and for two years he was teaching them, uh, discipling them, making them mouthpieces for Jesus Christ. He also says that he was disputing daily at this school, once again, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, disputing daily 
with, with these people found in this school for two years. But notice this. And then this continued for the space of two years so that all that would dwell in Asia, look at this, Asia, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word of the Lord was announced and proclaimed and heralded because of the one man made known the things of God passionately, boldly, confidently, flooding that area of Asia, specifically Ephesus, with the gospel. There's one reason why Paul the Apostle didn't go to Corinth is because he had a door of opportunity in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, that's what he says to the uh, people at Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. And by the way, with every good thing moving forward for the glory of God, there's always going to be a pushback. There's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be people that are disgruntled because of the truth. Remember, wonderful opportunities always come with opposition. <clears throat> he says in Acts chapter 19, verse 23, in the same time there arose no small stir about, look at, look at that way. So in the beginning, they begin to speak evil of the way or the gospel, the preaching of Paul. But then later on, there was a riot that was incited by some that saw what was going on and they just couldn't handle it. That stirred up people to uh, riot against the apostles. Verses 11 to 12, we see Paul perform miracles in Asia, healing much people. The Bible says that phrase I want you to notice here, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. I want you to remember, number one, that God is the one that gave the apostle Paul the miracle or the power to do these uh, healings. Uh, Hebrews 2.4 says this, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, look at this, according to his will. God is the one that chooses by his own will to gift men for his service. You have a lot of people today seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit, praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when they don't realize that God gifts them to specific people for specific purposes for a specific time. These miracles prove the authenticity of God-appointed apostles in that hour who preached God's message. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And then we see from verse 11 to 12, we also see vagabond Jews who were in the practice of exorcisms. In other words, trying to cast out devils. A vagabond Jew was one that roamed around from one place to another place uh, claiming to have the power of God to cast out devils. And, uh, and uh, no doubt there were perhaps men like uh, Simon the sorcerer and uh, Elymas who desired to have this power. And they attempt to use the name of Jesus. They said, we adjure you, speaking to the evil spirits, by uh, Jesus, look at this, whom Paul preacheth, because they understood this. This gives us a good indication. They understood that the preaching which, G, uh, which the Apostle Paul was preaching was authoritative. And it was in the name of Jesus Christ. But what we have to understand, if they're not God-appointed men, they can use the name of Jesus all they want, but they'll have no power of God upon them. As a matter of fact, what we see today, many people using the name of Jesus, but no power of God. It's all mimicked. It's all a show and want to be, try hard, want to be apostles today. That's what we see today. Also tells us uh, uh, a few about 
uh, the response of the evil spirit. I want you to see this. And the evil spirit said, uh, Jesus, is I, Jesus is I know, Paul I know, but who are you? See, even the demons or the enemy didn't recognize them. I mean, these guys weren't even being used to deceive people because we know that false apostles are used by the devil to deceive it. These guys were just floating around between the two. And uh, I'm afraid there are a lot of people, they may not be unbelievers, but they're influenced by the charismatic movement of our day, these try-hard wannabe prophets and apostles, and they're influenced by their, and they wander between the two, hardly doing anything, just speaking about it, uh, speaking about the signs and the power and talking about it all. Oh, we hear messages preached and taught about how the, the, the signs of the apostles are still walked today. But we see no demonstration of it like we see in the book of Acts. It's all spoken of. It's all fluff and counterfeited. But over here we see the, real, the special miracles were wrought by the hand of Paul. And uh, it was known, by the way, you can see the hand of God, the Apostle Paul. But even the own enemy of, these, uh, of, of, of Paul and Jesus didn't even understand who these people were mimicking the things of God. And as we move on, uh, we see <clears throat> that the devil is very familiar with the Apostle Paul and Jesus. You know why? Because they were authoritative, God-appointed men. That's why. God's hand was upon their ministry. You can see that through and through. You can clearly see Jesus, the Son of God, God's hand was upon him. Apostle Paul, hands down, God's man for the hour. Hands down. And the enemy knows them because of their authority. You know, you look at the Gospels and even the, the spirit of uh, the evil one spoke uh, and called him the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew who the Son of God was. They knew who Paul was. Why? Because there were God men for that, God's men for that hour doing the will of God. But these men, try hard, wannabes. Remember the demon-possessed woman in Philippi who followed Paul? You know, she followed Paul and the disciples around and says, look, these men are the servants of the Most High God. See, even the evil spirit within that woman knew that these are the servants of the Most High God. But who are these men? Only but try hard and wannabes. The Bible says the evil spirit prevailed against them. To prevail means to leap on them. To overcome them. As a matter of fact, the evil spirit overcome them. They were wounded and ran naked. Can you, can you, you can't even imagine that atmosphere and how that might have looked like. But it was public and it, was, it, was, it would have been shameful. Listen, let me tell you something. You do anything outside of the will of God, outside of the word of God, outside of your own office, gifts, abilities, and faith, and it's a shameful thing. The Bible talks about having clouds with no water. Don't play outside of your God-given calling. Amen? <clears throat> These men were just uh, not understanding what kind of battle they were facing. I mean, even... even uh, Michael the archangel dared not to fight the devil without the name of the Lord. He said, but these people use the name of the Lord, but they weren't confident. Oh, we want to use the Jesus that Paul preached. Why? Because there were many false prophets and Jesus going around that day. And that would depict the fact that they, he, they wanted the one Paul preached. You know, Paul preached the proper Jesus. But even then, God's hand went upon these people. You can have the biblical Jesus and want the biblical Jesus, but God's hand must be upon you, working, giving you the ability and gifts and calling in order to do what God has called you to do. Now I want to 
just as a way of introduction again as Christians, we really can see what the devil is able to do today. But what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to cast them out? Do we have the ability to cast out a devil? I don't know about you, but I don't have the ability. I'm told very specifically within the, the epistles of the apostle, number one, to resist the devil. To resist the devil. Number two, not to be ignorant of his devices. Number three, not to give room or place for the devil. We don't have time to look at these verses, but you know them. Uh, number four, to withstand the wiles of the devil. And number five, to reject false doctrine, devil's doctrine. I believe the greatest need for people today is to be saved. They hear the gospel and they're saved. When the Holy, when the, and when they're saved, the evil spirit depart from them and the Holy Spirit enters into them. I believe the greatest need for men is the, is the, is the preaching of the gospel. Now ask yourself this question, are you a threat to Satan? Does he know you? Not because you have signs and wonders and all this. No, because you preach the kingdom of God. You preach Christ. You testify of Christ. You know, the, the devil hates that name, that sweet name. He, he hates it. The more you speak about Jesus and the more you testify about Christ, the more trouble you bring to yourself. I'm telling you. Because of the name of Jesus. Jesus said it himself. He, he came not to bring peace but a sword. Why? Because he's the great divider. Is that the intentions of Christ? No. The intentions of Christ is that he wanted all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved and, and not, not willing that anyone should perish, but all come to repentance. But he knew that there would be a division because some will resist the truth and some will believe the truth. And therefore there'll be a, uh, you know, a, a schism within the home. Relationships. In verse 17 to 20, we arrive to our passage where I would like to admonish you for the rest of the sermon. We find in this passage that these Ephesians who trusted Jesus Christ as their saviour, these believers, were no doubt passionate from right from the beginning. Like similar to Lydia. You look at Lydia's conversion, you think, oh, what, what, what zeal, what, what passion she had. I mean, we don't have time to go there, but you look at Acts chapter 16 and you see Lydia, she came and she believed and she was baptized and then she said to the missionaries, look, listen, I want you to come to my place. I want you to be housed. I want to look after you. In other words, in, in that day, she would have wanted to wash their feet and uh, show hospitality to them from, right from get-go. Over here, we have similar people that would demonstrate this kind of faith uh, that uh, you know, simply is, is an expression of light that shines. A, a faith that is passionate. A faith that is on fire and zeal. So I want to point out three things. The confession of their faith, their commitment of their faith, and then the conclusion of their faith. From verse 17, I want you to see fear fell upon all of them. <clears throat> Why? Because this whole thing that was taking place before their eyes and uh, these men being wounded from the enemy and, 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 and naked and ran off and seeing the miracles that the Apostle Paul had demonstrated and what took place there was simply uh, a, you know, a tragedy that had taken place to, to cause fear in their heart. These imposters that came in the name of Jesus, masquerading as believers and Christians, were a sober, sober example to all who wished to fight against uh, God. Over here, 
we're reminded that we are no match for the devil. Imagine seeing that ordeal take place. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been pursued by the enemy for the, for the, for the gospel's sake or seen things take place right before your eyes and see how people are taken advantage of because of the enemy, you think to yourself, there's a fearful thing that takes place in your heart. You can't be indifferent about that. And, and you know what, beloved, let me tell you something. There is a lot of demonic activity taking place in around, around the world, but you know what's taking place? People have been accustomed to it. People look at YouTube and, and, and television and movies and they're desensitized to the wickedness that takes place. There's no more fear hitting or gripping their heart. No, no more. Why? Because they're desensitized to the evil and the darkness. We're not, we're not horrified when we see a horror movie. As a matter of fact, to some people, it's a form of entertainment. They've got movies today that uh, the, 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 the name of the movie is Lucifer. And people flock to watch these wicked things, demonic things. People, there's no fear in people's eyes today is because they're dabbling. They're dabbling uh, with all these different things and they're grow accustomed to them. But notice the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. At the very same time, God is able to bring out that uh, which is good from what takes place, which, which is evil. And I thank God for that. The situation was, without a doubt, used to reveal God's true power in this circumstance. It was, it was there to draw the distinction between what, what, what is good and what is bad, what is, what is pure and what is defiled. From the true, it separates from that which is true and that which is a counterfeit. And so the word of God would have been magnified. Uh, this would have been the heart of the Apostle Paul to magnify God's word and see people saved. There's no doubt about that. But notice their confession. Verse 18, look at this. And many believed, many that believed, look at this. What's that word there? Came and confessed. So amongst those people that, you know, fear came upon all men, and, and, and the word of God was magnified. Christ was perhaps lifted up also. The gospel being preached by the apostle Paul boldly. There are people that believed. People saw it. People heard it. And people believed. But notice, they confessed. And it was publicly. They would have came to the apostles and those that were around and confessed. Publicly. You know, their confession before the public was a manifestation of their faith. You know what we have today? We have a group of people that want to be secret believers or in the secret service of Christianity. They're ashamed of even declaring the name of Jesus or identifying themselves with Jesus and saying that they're a Christian. They're secret Christians, if you will. But you know what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 8, he says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that deny me, denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Over here, Jesus says, if you confess me publicly, I will profess you publicly. You deny me publicly, I will deny you publicly. Some people make a profession and they never confess it publicly. They never give a testimony. They never follow the Lord in baptism. They never, you know, simply they're in the service or they come to church, but they never witness or testify of the grace of God in their life. They would have confessed Christ to be their saviour by, by seeing their need for a saviour. 
In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says that if thou confess with thy mouth, who? The Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thy heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. This is, by the way, only a demonstration of what they believed. Faith in Christ is always the requirement for salvation, but faith in Christ will cause you to confess. It's an outworking of faith. You believe, you're going to confess. You're going to, you're going to make known. The Bible says they, uh, that they were, that, uh, verse, uh, 1 John verse 1 and 9, look at this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? To forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. See, uh, this would indicate the fact that if you're confessing Christ, Jesus the Lord, well, what did Jesus do? Well, if you know 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died, according to the scripture, for our sins, was buried and rose again. You're confessing that Jesus is my saviour and, and, and I'm a sinner. And you, and, and you confess that you are indeed a sinner and you're wicked and you're wretched and you need God's forgiveness. This is the disposition of repentance. I can prove it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Have a look at Matthew chapter 3 in your Bibles. Leave your finger there in Acts chapter 19. But go to Matthew chapter number 3. <clears throat> I want you to see this. There are many, many uh, examples given in the scripture of what uh, the demonstration of faith looks like. And this is no doubt a disposition of repentance. Look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter number 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying what did he say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand look at verse 5 then went out to him jerusalem uh, went out to jerusalem and all judea and all the region around about jordan and were baptized of him in jordan what were they doing confessing their sins but when he saw the pharisees and the sadducees come to his baptism and he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for what? Repentance. See, these Pharisees thought that they were okay. They didn't need to have their eyes open and they didn't need to confess their sins uh, or ask God for mercy upon them because they were a sinner because their religiosity covered or you know, masked their, their, their uh, uh, indifference and their wickedness. Remember the, the parable that Jesus gives between the publican and the Pharisee? Well, one of them was self-righteous and he boasted, boasted within himself and said to God, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. And he gave all the list of things that he does. And so we see that these uh, people in Ephesus uh, believed, came, and confessed their sin. They would have confessed the Lord Jesus and I would have believed they would confess the, uh, uh, the sin of being in the occult and dabbling with witchcraft. And because later on we're going to see the demonstration of repentance. This is the disposition. But there's no doubt they would have seen the contrast between that which is good and genuine and said, you know what, we've been taken for a ride by these imposters. But now they want to masquerade and use the name of Christ. They would have seen it. We've been deceived. 
and they came and confessed Christ, that he is Lord. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's missing today. It's missing. We see David in Psalm 32 verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, look at this, I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Friends, whether you do it quietly in your heart or publicly, it must be done. It must be done. Acknowledging the Lord, acknowledging your sin, acknowledging your need for a Savior, so important. God's wisdom says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But who confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The oldest trick in the book, that man will cover their sin by their good works. No, you cannot cover your sin by your good works. The best covering you and I can have is the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the best covering. You know what John says? John says that he's a propitiation. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ is the satisfaction for uh, man's problem. Or man's sin problem, I should say. The blood of Christ is the best covering anybody can have. But people masquerade and cover their sin by works and religion. And, uh, and, and even, even in the occult or being spiritual or different things of that nature. As long as they're spiritual, they're okay. No. No. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and we see a demonstration of that, if you will, later on, and how that looks like. But their confession was a direct result in believing in the gospel. You know what Jesus said in Luke 24? He said this, And I said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin shall be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at where? Jerusalem. And so we see that the repentance and the remission of sin is part of the gospel. There's no doubt about that, and Paul the Apostle preached that. He would have been part of his content in his preaching the kingdom of God and preaching the things concerning the kingdom and preaching the things concerning Christ. But I want you to see not only the confession, but notice their commitment. This is the demonstration of repentance. Look at verse 19. And many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before... All men. Now, this is not only fascinating to me, but this is an absolute encouragement to no end. One of the portions of Scripture, not only Zacchaeus and his fruit of repentance and his outworking of faith in Jesus Christ and how he wants to recompense, but over here that these people would demonstrate such commitment, my friends. Listen, to, to, to burn books that were at value. We'll see that in the, in the next part of that verse. That were at value of millions of dollars millions we're not talking about a few cents or a few dollars or, or, or a few things no, no. we're talking about millions of dollars it's been said that Ephesus was the central part in Asia for their black magic and occult witchcraft practices and so the Ephesians were dabbling if you will with, with the occult and, 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 and using different magical formulas in these books to so-called bring health and wealth and happiness and these believers seem to have, uh, you know, no doubt, uh, uh, you know, simply uh, not only dabbling, but uh, grown accustomed to 
extreme to have so many books worth so, many, uh, worth so much money. You say, well, you know, who buys witchcraft books and books of, you know, of that nature today? Well, you don't have to buy them. You can see them on YouTube. You can see the subliminal messages in Hollywood movies and Disney cartoons. You say, Disney cartoons? Yeah, they're there. They're there. You just don't see them because you're not able to see them because you're just taken away by this world. As innocent as it is, if you keep your eyes uh, open and your ears alert, you can hear them come through very distinctly. But in the name of innocency, and everything's okay, and it's just a colour cartoon, it's fine. No, it's rippled through all our world today. Magazines, commercials, there are subliminal messages, all you go, I'll tell you, my friend, you don't have to be actively in it, you can be absolutely supporting it by your, uh, you know, uh, allegiance to it by watching it. Give it time, inviting in your home. So what did they do? Just burn them. Listen, you know, when I came to Christ, I started ripping down my Hollywood movies, one after the other, ripping them down. You know why? God convicted me. That there's nothing good in those movies. There's, they blaspheme God's name. They've got wicked connotations. Look, movies and, and music. My music started like, one by one, deleting them. One by one, one by one. Uh, books, magazines, uh, pictures. Back then we didn't have a phone to go through the pictures and delete them. We had physical pictures and albums. And take that one out. I don't need that one. I remember where I was in that picture. That's not good. I remember what I was doing there. Ugh, out. Don't want those memories. I'm done. Well, what's that? Well, that's a Christian that's on fire. That's a Christian that loves the Lord. That's a Christian that has this burning desire to do right and no more to be dabbling with wicked stuff. But today we have a soft Christianity that is not able to see things. I'll tell you why. Because they love them. They love Hollywood movies and they love wicked uh, music and they love dabbling with things. Uh, that, that, why? Because it appeals to the flesh. It's fleshly. They don't see the evil in it. They don't see the demonic uh, influence in it. And it's sad. Uh, you know, everyone's heard Dylan's testimony. You haven't heard it, you can go online, you can hear his testimony. I want it, uh, and his baptism, you watch it. Uh, I, I wanted to post that up. He was, he's got Facebook, so I've got Facebook. And I wanted to tag him in with his testimony so he can share it to all his friends. I think a testimony is a wonderful thing to share with your friends and hear, hear him about how God has saved you and, and continues to work in your life. And it's a miracle. I go, the, the greatest miracle that can take place on this side of heaven is to be saved by Jesus Christ. Saved, sanctified, changed, and God giving you a love for the things that pertain unto heaven. Amen? Uh, eternal things. Anyway, I, I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to affiliate myself, I know he's a young believer, but I'm just going to check his page. And I checked his page and checked some more and some more and uh, got on the phone call. I said, Dylan, I really want to share your testimony. I want to tag you in. I want you to share with others. But man, you've got to clean up your Facebook page. And he was ignorant of it. He was still a young baby. He hasn't come there yet. But you know what? The Bible says to admonish one another. Amen? So I did. You know what? He didn't buck or kick. As a matter of fact, he was horrified. 
And one by one, delete. One by one, delete. One by one, I was with him there on the speakerphone. One by one, you know how long we were there for? Two and a half hours, close to three hours. It was almost midnight. Going back to all the way 2010, about 13 years of the old life. You know what Dylan was doing? He was taking out or putting off the old man. You know why? Because he was on fire for the Lord. You say, but he was just a newborn babe. Yeah, newborn babes can be on fire for the Lord. Amen? That's what's supposed to take place. You're supposed to get like that spark and be passionate like Lydia and, uh, and, and these Ephesus believers. There's no excuse. As a matter of fact, these people ought to say, we ought to say, man, look at the church of Macedonia, Corinthians. Look at the grace of God upon their life. Let's come on and be like them. Let's follow the Lord like they follow the Lord. They're not a threat to me. They're an encouragement to me. I look at people like this and say, wow. I want to, I want to have that passion and zeal and love for the things of God. I think some of us need to start a bonfire when we get home. Or you can have a you know, garbage collecting special uh, council pickup cleanup, amen? And say, look, I don't need this anymore. It's the old life, the old man. I'm done with it. Don't want to resemble anything of the old man. It's of the devil. It's of the world. It's, it's wicked. Don't want it. And I guarantee you, you search long and hard enough, you'll find me. Well, well, speaking about Dylan, he was moving from one house to another house. And we found all sorts of stuff in his kitchen drawer. And he was just ashamed. I can't believe I still got these. And, uh, and he just throw them in the bin, no hesitation. Just throw them in the bin. Done. Just gone. But aren't these worth a lot of money? I mean, can't you sell them? Well, hang on a minute. You know why they burnt them? Because they didn't want anyone else to have them. Because they knew the danger that lied in them. They knew the danger that lied in them. And they didn't want anyone to have them. And so they burnt them. What was the value? Well, the Bible says in verse 19, they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. It's been said that the value of these wicked books that they burnt equal to about this. Look at uh, 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 the salary of 150 men per year. It's been said that it, the value of these books would have equated to 10 laborers laboring for 20 years to earn this kind of money. 10 laborers, 10 laboring for 20 years. It was about, in our currency, it would have been about anywhere from about five to seven and a half million dollars. And that's not an exaggeration. Compare the 50,000 pieces of silver to the 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrayed the Lord for. Compare them. What was 30 pieces of silver worth? Probably one month worth of work. 
one piece of a silver, a, perhaps a day for your labor? Well, if you want to calculate it, 50 pieces of silver is about 1,667 months of work, which is about uh, 139 years worth of work. And you calculate the uh, wages of that, it turns out to be roundabout from about six uh, to seven and a half million dollars. Think, what? They burnt that much? Yeah, because it was wicked. It was wicked. And that was the demonstration of their faith. It was a demonstration of their commitment to say, you know what, we're done with that. We don't want to be affiliated. We do not want anyone else to be affiliated with it. We're going to burn them. And they'd done a public bonfire. Yeah, these guys were serious, sober, sober Christians, serious Christians. They understood the influence of uh, the enemy and what they had uh, upon their life. Dabbling with worldly ideologies is not only a waste of money, brethren, it's a waste of time and it profits nothing. The truth is you cannot be a believer and hold to the occult or black magic or witchcraft long enough. You're going to depart from it. And then notice the conclusion of their faith in verse 20. Notice the end result was obvious and, and by the way, worth it all. Amen. Look at verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. <laughs> I love that. I mean, the word of God is what brought them to where they were, but it continued to grow and prevail in their life. The word of God prevailed against the evil influence that these evil, wicked uh, demons had over the people. Responsible for the occult and the pagan movement. The word of God prevailed in the hearts of these believers. God worked in their heart. and he, They were moved to action. These Christians were on hot and fire because of the word of God taking liberty in their heart and continued to take liberty. And because of their faith in Christ, a God was working and the word of God grew mightily. William MacDonald said, perhaps if our modern Christians would burn their trashy books and magazines, the, world will, uh, the word will prevail much more. And it's true. Because worldly things are a hindrance to the word of God in our life. Now you can go away and justify that and say, no, no, no. You can. Or you can admit it and say, you know what? These are a hindrance in our life. And the word of God cannot take free course or liberty if we continue to dabble with these ungodly things. By the way, it is better to be simply prevailing by the word of God than have the evil one prevail against you. Remember what happened to this uh, vagabond Jews? They were prevailed against. They were overcome. Why? Because they didn't believe... And they were still dabbling with the occult and, and the wicked practices. You know why Jesus came? Part of his uh, coming was to preach the gospel. And listen, in Isaiah 61.1, is to set the captives free. He came to free us from the bondage of this world and what this world has upon God's people, upon those people that would believe. And as true believers, we are overcomers in Christ. We are overcomers. If you're a believer today, listen to me very carefully, you're an overcomer. Uh, we're true believers, we're overcomers in Christ and, 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 and by faith. Notice what 1 John 4 says, I have, uh, chapter 2, I've written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you 
and you have what? Overcome who? The wicked one. We are overcomers by faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We are overcomers because we belong to God. And we have the Holy Spirit of God. Look at 1 John uh, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil can never, never overcome the overcomers. Did you hear that? The devil can never overcome the overcomers in the sense that we see here that happened to the uh, vagabond Jews. Can he take advantage of them? Can he mislead them and deceive them? Yeah, but he can never overcome them because we are overcomers in Christ. 1 John 5.18 We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that begotten, uh, is begotten of God keepeth himself. Look at this. And that wicked one, what? Toucheth him not. Thank God for that. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for that. I'm glad that I'm kept in the hands of God. I'm securely uh, secured by the hand of God and by the hand of Christ. And no man is able to pluck me. And the devil cannot touch me. And I'm glad for the salvation that I have in Christ. Today we have preachers preaching. Another preacher named Greg Glock preaching the fact that, uh, that Christians can be possessed with the devil. You know, this is nothing but a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil. If, you're, if you can be possessed by the devil, that means the Holy Spirit is not possessing you. Because if you are possessed by the control by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, no man can enter in. And Satan may persecute, entice, and accuse the believers, but he can never destroy their soul. That's why Jesus says, Fear not him that can, that can destroy uh, the, uh, the body, but fear him that can, can destroy the what? Both body and soul. Let me just say this to you. If you're here and you're not saved, friend, you need to get saved and flee from the wrath of God that's coming. Men's souls will be destroyed for the lack of... Of, of believing of Je on Jesus Christ and getting saved and having faith and, getting, and being, becoming an overcomer and living a victorious Christian life and living in, by the leading of the Holy Spirit of their, in their life. Now, in closing, what do you think is the main cause uh, to lukewarmness in the believer's life? Why, why do believers struggle not to maintain that fervency, if you will, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we know apathy is one of them. We know that not getting, your, not getting rid of worldly, carnal, wicked things is another one. But there's a main thing that I'm looking for here, a main hindrance. I believe it's a root problem that would simply uh, hide the light or put the light under a bushel, dim the light, if you will, suppress the zeal that we have, hinder the work of God. What, what? Anyone can take a guess. The fear of man, oh, that's one of them. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Uh, persecution that comes into the believer's life, of course. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, living a double life and hypocrisy, yeah. Yes. Sin, yeah, no doubt. Unconfessed sin in our life will always hinder the Christian. And that's why we need to keep short accounts with God. Anyone else? 
Go to Ephesians 2, uh, Revelation 2. I want you to see this. Go to Revelation 2. Revelation 2, look at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labour, and thy patience, and how canst thou not bear them which are evil? And thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience for my name's sake and laboured and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast what? Left thy first? All right. You know what it is? I guess it's accompanied with apathy, but it's a lack of love for God. It's a lack of love for God. Listen. These Ephesians that were saved in Acts chapter 19 and believed and confessed and showed their deeds by burning these books demonstrated a sacrifice that wasn't too little or too big no matter how much it was worth because why? They would have loved the Lord. There's no doubt about that. John says we love him because he first loved us. There is no sacrifice too little or too big for those that love the Lord. The Lord points something in your life, you say it's gone. I'm done. Put off. Why? Because you love the Lord. We're not talking about uh, being in the ministry or marking out uh, false apostles and, 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 and separating ourselves from bad doctrine, although that's good and commendable. We know he commended them and, uh, and, and, and no doubt they did it in the proper motive of for my name's sake. Wonderful. But when there's a lack of love for the Lord, a lack of love is a lack of obedience and prompting by God to do that which is right. There grows cold or uh, lukewarm, the believer. How is this love perfected in our life? Well, John says this, Whosoever keepeth his word, in, ver in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby we know that we are in him. To remain hot and on fire for God, we must continue in the love of God, keep our eyes on Christ, listen, and continue to obey him. It's amazing to me today that most Christians want to obey the Lord as far as salvation. The, obey the gospel by believing on it. Yes, I will. Wonderful. Have your sins forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. Salvation is the beginning in a love relationship with God. It's a constant lifestyle of putting off and putting on constantly. That God will work in you, the perfect man of Jesus Christ, being conformed into his image and separate from the world, becoming more a stranger to this world than, than you once were. But your lack of love for him will dim that light and that passion and zeal. You know why Jesus came and flipped the tables when he saw the temple being defiled? 
because he loved the father. He loved it and he couldn't stand it. And he flipped the tables. It's not in my father's house. Not in my father's house. No, not here. Because he loved the father. And he said, and he said that my, my father loves me and I love him. And I've come to do the work of my father. That's my meat. That's what I'm going to do. And I guarantee you, the more you obey, the more God's word will grow in your heart and you'll prevail. More of an overcomer you'll become. Overcoming the world, little by little, by saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Everything that God shows you, you say, yes, Lord, that's gone. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I'll go there. Yes, Lord. And by the way, that's the key in walking in the Spirit, walking in the spirit of God and being Spirit-filled. Constantly being controlled by the leading of God's Spirit. According to His Word, God reveals things to you and you say, yes, Lord. God says, come and sit and meet. And I've spent some good quality time with me. I say, yes, Lord, I'm not too busy. I'm going to come and sit and have that sweet fellowship. I love you. And God says, you know, Charlie, this, uh, you've been too much dabbling with this. Although it's good, it's not bad. It's a weight. Take it out. I say, yes, Lord, you've been working that in my heart for a very long time and I'll be procrastinating but I don't want to lose my fire and I don't want to lose my passion so I'm going to get rid of it I cannot afford with, with uh, hindering my relationship with you and the spirit of God working that fervency in my life yes Lord I'm not going to be apathetic yes Lord I'm going to keep holding the fort yes Lord I'm going to keep following you whatever the Lord shows me I will do today we have people or talking about the Bible not even preaching about the Bible not even leading and saying thus saith the Lord and rebuking reproving exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine because we have an apathy of people that want itching ears why so the preachers can help them maintain their ungodly lifestyle and we've got to say no we're not going to have that we want the preacher of old to come and, and stick his finger in our face and say we need to change things and things need to get uh, simply uh, put in order again and we need to uh, get the wrong ride and we to you know you know what's going on today Christianity is dying because the occult is coming into the church and masquerading in the name of Jesus and you say there's no power in the pulpit I'll tell you why because there's no power in God's house what about the people of God you say set the pulpit on flame and people will listen no that today the pulpit goes on fire and you preach and no one they go back and no one really does much you're back in the old stuff doing the old same thing there's no fervency the word of god is not being escalated or multiplied or growing or overcoming we're still being crippled by the old world influence i know there's been slow growth as in my life remember on new year's eve we said we want to do this we want to you know because if a christian does this all his life he goes up and down 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 throughout this year nothing happens you're still in the same place because all you've done is gone up and down up and down up and down up and down but if you saw up up you say yes lord i want to obey you yes lord i love you yes lord i'm going to get rid of that no matter how much it's going to cost me i don't care about losing money i want to do your will i don't care about possessions i don't care about these trivial things i want to be in love with you i want to serve you you go, and but then you fall because somehow you've been weighed down and you draw back for a little but then you get up by the grace of god you know where you are you're here you're here you're still you're still moving along you're not doing these ones 
You're going and then just man fall a seven times. You might fall along the way, but you're going to excel and go and overcome. And this is what God wants. But our confession and our commitment toward our faith must continue in our Lord Jesus Christ. As you have received the Lord, walk also in him. Our relationship with God and our love relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. You see 1 John chapter 1, our fellowship is both with the Father and the Son. And if our fellowship is both with the Father and the Son, your joy is full. And our fellowship with the apostles, and thank God for the apostles of today, uh, of this book and not of the apostles of today. And I believe the greatest curse happening in Christianity is these false apostles, these wannabe that undermine, undermine God's word and preach greasy grace. That's why Jude wrote what he wrote. Because this grace of God coming into the churches, almost telling you in a roundabout way, hey brother, you can live the, live the way you want. You can sit on your blessed hope and all go into heaven. Isn't that great? And they come and tickle the ears and you do nothing and you go back and you just, yeah, we're saved, right? No. You want the word of God to prevail in your life? You want to overcome and overcome and, be, and grow? Love the Lord, my friend. Obey him. At what cost? At any cost. At any cost. Brethren, you know where I get this title on fire for God from? About seven million dollars. Seven million dollars burnt. Trying to tell someone today about seven million dollars in the bin. Ah! Ah, you wasted the money. For them, money wasn't their master. They had a new master. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see it. Because a city on a hill cannot be hid. It's there. And I look at the Ephesians and I say, glory to God. Magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ for the work that he is doing in their life. I'm not threatened by them. I'm encouraged. That encourages me. I'm not threatened. May God help us have the same grace worked in our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.